You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. That's Ben. He's the producer, one of the producers on the show. Hi, Ben. Hi, Nathan. Why don't you introduce Mr. Awesome? That's Pastor Awesome to you, buddy. Yes, that's right. Pastor Jake Mensel. The Reverend Awesome. <laughs> the Reverend Awesome. <laughs> How you doing, Reverend Awesome? Uh, uh, I'm so awesome. I... Now, fun fact about Jake. <laughs> we were up for contract nego- renegotiations. <laughs> and he said, guys, <laughs> not I'd like to be show anymore unless. <laughs> unless I'd be referred to as the Reverend Awesome. And we were like, sure, we'll do that at the top of the show. And he's like, no, I mean, in our personal lives forever <laughs> right. from now on. From now on, if you want the show to continue to exist, right. you want me to not cancel it, you must always refer to me as Reverend Awesome. Awful? <laughs> oh, a Freudian slip much, Reverend Awful? <laughs> hey, so, watch, I'm going to fire you, man. So that's when we canceled the show, but Jake showed up today. <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to humor him while the police get here. <laughs> All right, guys, I want to talk today about a place where I've been feeling crazy. Basically, we were having a conversation off mic earlier today, and we thought it might be nice to bring it on mic where we were talking about certain passages of scripture that make us feel crazy. This show's about things that make you feel crazy. And And normally it's about things in the world that make us feel crazy, right? We're trying to be biblical Christians, and then you step out into the world, and it's like, well, what I see out in the world and what I read in my Bible and what I know to be true, they don't match up. It makes me feel insane. Right. But sometimes you come to scripture, and scripture makes you feel crazy. Right. Which, generally, we know that's because we are. We're the crazy ones. We're the crazy ones. Yeah. No surprise there for any biblical God-fearing Christians who are listening to the show. We, we all have these passages. We all have passages that are particularly tender to us, that we love, that came to us, or that we had for a, a special time in our life, or something that we were reading when we were having our first child, or whatever it is. We, we have certain passages that are that are. Sweet. Sweet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess just broadly speaking, there, there are passages that everybody has trouble with. There's Leviticus, there's Numbers, it's a bunch of genealogies, it's just... Yeah, you hit, you hit certain passages of Scripture in your devotions, and it's a little more challenging. Right. Why did I need to know about all the way that the, the tabernacle was built, all the measurements? What, mm-hmm. what does that do for my... I don't have my... the big picture, I don't right. understand what's great or exciting about this, I just want to get through it. Yeah. Last several chapters of Ezekiel... Ezekiel's tough, Nehemiah or Ezra, whichever one it is, is like, these are all the people that came along. Yeah. Bob and Dave and and Fred, and it's a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. And you're like, is it okay that I feel bored by this? Or am I supposed to feel spiritually invigorated by reading this list of old Hebrew names? So there are those passages. Yep. And, but then there are ones that hit us wrong for personal reasons perhaps because we have a sin Uh, i'm a rebellious wife i don't really like reading about the fact that i should submit or man i really hate people i don't like reading about the fact that that means i'm a murderer there Mm -hmm. are those places then well let why don't i let you guys be the judge of how what i'm about to say fits into this whole paradigm because the passage that I've been having trouble with has been really weird. It's actually an entire book of the Bible, and it's not one that I think you would ever guess. You guys already know what it is because we were talking about this right. 
off mic. I wouldn't have guessed it. I would it. not have guessed it. I think this would have probably been one of the absolute last books, if you had to guess. You'd guess everything in the Old Testament first. I mean, you'd start with... I don't know. I might guess Hebrews or First John, possibly, speaking for myself. I would myself. guess all things beginning with John. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And he, yeah, Hebrews is a good one to go to. Too. Yeah, if you're going to NT, then obviously the Johns, Revelation, perhaps might mm. be. Yeah, I mean, you you guys know me, so you could guess what might bug me personally or what might rub against the way I am. But generally speaking, for for a person, I think you might guess Hebrew, the Johns, Revelation. Revelation. Again, mm-hmm. anything related to John. Yeah, anything. Yeah, really. John's just he's difficult. He, he's the different one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, he's the he's the one who's most antithetical to who we are. Right, he's coming from from somewhere completely differently. Yeah, mm. you and I, Jake, have talked many times about how difficult it is to just for us to wrap our heads around. Yeah, his John. Yeah, he's different. You read well. You read First John, for example, and it's not the thought that you're supposed to have, but if you let yourself think about it, you can think, I don't. Would, would I like this guy? He seems super spiritual, or or yeah, something. There's all Maybe. kinds of. He has no grace for sin. If you sin, then if you sin, you're not a child of God. He's nonlinear mm-hmm. and he's absolute in ways that are it's just he likes to, it's very hard to deal he with. He likes to circle yeah. back. Well, some, some Jen Psaki yeah. action going on there. Some what? But anyway, you you might guess various Old Testament. You might guess we already said Leviticus numbers, one of some something from the You might guess Pentateuch. something like Judges, where it's just like a lot of a lot of gore and also a lot of Hor- just a lot of horrible things. Yeah. Well, why, why did this guy chop up his concubine again? Just stuff that you, you stumble over. It's like these people are really awful. You might guess some of the books of prophecy just because it's hard. It's difficult to wrap your head around what they're saying and all this old time context for these different nations. And I don't know. You might even guess the book of Kings just because it's like, well, then there was another king and then there was. Anyway, yeah, lots of things that you might guess. But. <laughs> The book of the Bible that I've been struggling with about as much as anything in my life. I've had times where, for whatever reason, maybe I have a guilty conscience, maybe this, maybe that. I just don't want to read the Bible. But this wasn't about not wanting to read the Bible. This was about not wanting to read this book of the Bible. And I just happened to hit it in my whatever Bible reading plan I'm doing. The book is the book of Acts. I've read the book of Acts a lot, dozens of times, however many times the average Christian who grew up a Christian and was told to read the Bible once a year and sort of kind of tried to do it failingly has read the book of Acts. I've read it that many times. I've probably heard it preached through multiple times. I've never hit a snag with the book of Acts, but I was just not wanting to read it. I was so looking forward to Romans, which historically has been is a great book. Obviously, the Book of Romans pretty good. I mean, I like them all, really. But <laughs> um, <laughs> good, that speaks well of you. Yeah, yeah. The Book of Romans is one of those books. I'll read it once, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I get it now." And then I'll read it again and be like, "Why did I think I I got it?" There's just it's just so dense with awesomeness. But I was really looking forward to. I was like, I just want to get out of Acts. And I, there were days where I would just read a random Psalm, where I would work on memorizing something. And all that stuff was, I suppose, in its way good, but it was really not about how desperately I wanted to read that psalm. It was about how desperately I didn't want to read the book of Acts. It took me, you know, sometimes you catch up with yourself, you realize you've been doing something, and but you haven't actually thought about 
why you've been doing it. It took me several weeks. I think I was in Acts 20 something before I just stopped and had to sort of look at myself and be like, why, why don't I like this? Why, why is this actively rubbing me the wrong way? I mean, it's really making me feel agitated. It's making me feel unhappy. And why? I mean, it's all this, it's the story of the power of God going out and changing all these people's lives. It's all these awesome miracles and these heroes of the faith. I mean, it's like, it's not just good stuff. It's fun and cool. The Holy Spirit, the, the power of God unleashed on the world in a really potent, fun, for lack of a better phrase, fun to read about way. Like these are the kinds of stories that we teach children to get them excited about the Bible and about witnessing. And so anyway, I was just like, what, what is going on? And then I realized what probably should have been obvious to me, which is we're planting a church. We just moved out onto the front lines. Yeah. I'm actually on the front lines now with you gentlemen here in Evansville. I've left my home behind in Bloomington. And you might expect, and maybe for someone of a different character than I, maybe maybe someone more godly than me, you might expect the book of Acts would be really sweet. Here's how God worked through other people on the front lines. But for me, it was just like shipwrecks, stonings, beatings. Nobody gets it. Demetrius the silversmith's business is ruined, and so he stirs up a riot, and everybody's just willing to... Come try to kill you. Come try to kill you. This person's dead. This person's dead. This bad thing happened. Paul and Barnabas... Split. Split. Paul gets abandoned here. He has to be led over the wall in a basket there. All he finds in this city is a Gentile woman a suicidal jailer and a demon-possessed slave girl before he gets kicked out. Before he gets beaten and imprisoned and... Yeah, stonings. Just even little things like, ah, we could have let Paul go if he hadn't appealed to Rome. Just the ironies of the way that the journeys end up working and the way that Paul's final journey that you know historically is ending in his death plays out. It was really this time very frustrating for me to read about those things. And I just didn't like it. And I muscled my way through, and now I'm in Romans, and I'm much happier. But the fact is, I mean, this is a show about the places where we feel crazy, right? And the reason that I felt crazy was it wasn't just a feeling of agitation. It was a feeling of dislike. It was a feeling I felt angry. I'm being called to this suffering, and not only does the book of Acts rub my nose in it, but actually God's providence in having me read the book of Acts right when I move, literally. Nathan, you are in Evansville to suffer. Yeah, it really just felt- For the advancement of the gospel. You're not in Evansville to play and have fun with your friends. Honestly, it just felt like such a, I moved here, didn't I? I came here. I am aware that the Christian life- I left my strong church. I left my family. I left my friends. And I was willing to make those sacrifices, and I'm willing to make more sacrifices. But the fact that I find myself reading this document, which just rubs my nose in, oh, oh darn, you moved from one city in the most luxurious country in all space and time, in all human history, Mm -hmm. to another one- Have you been whipped by the Pharisees, have you, Nathan? <laughs> been shipwrecked, have you? <laughs> and the one that feels the, a city standpoint. So from believing the strength of a strong church, that's one thing. 
okay, that's a sacrifice. But from a city standpoint, feels like leaving more hostile territory for less hostile territory when it comes to the work of the kingdom. Yeah. Bloomington is actively hostile in ways that few cities in the Midwest are. So moving from Bloomington. Yeah, there were a lot of things that were nice about it. And this this felt like those things were actively being snatched away. Don't forget, whatever the Evansville, Indiana version of shipwreck, whatever the Evansville, Indiana version of being stoned, whatever the Evansville, Indiana version of riots. Those things are what await you. Those things are what await you. Don't if forget. You, if you're going to be faithful, if you're going to actually build the kingdom. Yeah, or you can sell out. You have, you have a choice. But remember what happened to Simon the Magician or uh, Ananias and Sapphira? Like, actually, when we try to split the difference there, we die. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> so you, per- you felt God personally coming at you through Acts. Yeah, and I... Resented it. I really resented it. We talked about all the different books written by the Apostle John. It, yeah. is, it is similar to how those make me feel. We were talking off mic about the Gospel of John and Jesus as he's portrayed there. He just always doubles down with everybody. Every, every single time he doubles it down. Every single time he escalates in John. So John tells the stories where he's always doubling down and escalating. And it's so different than the synoptic gospels in that sense. And, and there are reasons for that. And there are even just, there are lots of reasons to understand that. It's not just John deciding, well, you've read the sweet side of Jesus. Well, here's the jerky side of Jesus. That's not mm-hmm. what's happening yeah. there. But still, that is what, what you get is just punch, 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 punch with very little relief throughout the gospel of John. And, and you could say, well, Acts actually has a bunch of, awesome stories where things look really bad and then the Tolkienian you catastrophe happens and the jail doors come open and they get rescued and they but it's only so they can go suffer some more yeah it's only so that they can go get into the next <laughs> scrape and and get beaten get stoned and get run out of die. town and, and eventually die like we all know where this is leading for our hero the apostle paul is not a happy place so yeah that's that's how i felt and oh my stars well, we haven't heard that in a while. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot to tell you. Ben, I, this is... I just, just installed it. Ben, in, new in secret, Top Secret Studio top B? Top Secret Studio B. Ben, it, it's like, what's it? missing? We have Baby Yoda, and we have cut-up mattress pads for sound absorption, but there's something missing. And it was my water bottle. And then, anyway, I, then I installed the alarm, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, we left that up in Bloomington. Right. Right? Oh, oh, man. Right, I... I uninstalled it it's a good thing we didn't install the excellent comedy alarm because <laughs> that thing would be blaring with that water bottle well, I, I couldn't put that in <laughs> right. i'm gonna be on the show you right right, right. you guys talk <laughs> right <laughs> wow well if people don't know it's been a while since this has gone off but the devil's advocate alarm of course the dwa is the part of the show where this alarm goes off and then we have to present the opposite case I haven't really been making a case, though. I've just been saying I read the book of Acts. Well, what you have been doing is you've been presenting an approach to Scripture where you allow yourself to be angry at what God has said and where God's led you in his word. Resent it. Where you allow yourself to resent it and to what? Cultivate some bitterness about it as it relates to your life. And that's garbage. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate, apparently. Right. Oh, yeah. Sounds like you both are. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I am too. (laughs) 
<laughs> Everybody's just waiting to pounce on old Nathan here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, resenting God's word is resenting God. And we have a responsibility, the way that scripture teaches us, to control our feelings and not let them go into evil things. You feel like lusting, you feel like hating, you feel like resenting God. You don't, can't let yourself give into that. And you can't give yourself the freedom to feel that way because that's a sin that God will judge. And you can't set it up so that the listeners of this show suddenly feel like, oh, sweet. But I think unless the listeners are perfect human beings, they've probably had these, what I'm counting on, obviously, when I do the show is that other people have felt this way. I can't be the only person who's hit a passage of scripture and thought, this makes me feel absolutely insane. And apostates, for instance. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> oh jugular uh, sorry let's blow the belt <laughs> okay i'm not an apostate i'm a sinner i have sinful thoughts and i think that they're worth yeah but the, processing. the reason i i know it's a jerk thing to say even for the devil's advocate but the reason i i went there is because jesus says in the sermon on the mount that everyone who's angry with his brother is guilty of murder Okay, well, here you are admitting to being angry with God because that's what it is to be angry with God's word and to resent it. And so every little thought, every little feeling like that that you allow to have a hold in your life and in your heart is something that would be murder or apostasy if it could. And so what you don't want to do is give yourself permission to be angry with God. That's asking for apostasy. That's a step down that road. Right, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because I was able to stand outside of myself eventually after a while, and I'm not claiming it wouldn't have been better sooner or immediately, but okay, Nathan's slow, I'll give you that. But eventually, I stood outside of myself, I saw what was going on, and then, did I set the book of Acts on fire? Did I abandon the faith? No, I said, I should read this, I should profit from it, I should realize where God's disciplining me and reminding me of the sufferings that he sanctifies us through and that he spreads his word through. I did the work. That's the work. That's all I'm describing. Is that the work, though, of a heart that's really been transformed? Or is that the work of a heart that is just trying to muscle up because it hasn't been really changed by God? Yes. Okay, explain what you mean, because I think, I mean... Isn't, isn't the very essence of what it means to be born again, to have a heart for God and for his word, a basic heart change where it's no longer, it's not sawdust anymore, it's honey. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you go from being the rioter or Saul of, over here breathing hatred to being willing to suffer. So help me understand. Well, I just feel like you're being some, I mean, we could, Mr. Devil, get into, make this whole podcast about indwelling sin, but... The fact is, I think my answer, yes, to both questions is right. I have been, by God's grace, been transformed on a fundamental level. I've been justified. I am also in the process of something called sanctification, where I am becoming more like Christ. And to not talk about the process... Is to try to either deny or short-circuit the process. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I stepped out of my role there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I am stepping out of the devil's role right now. These are the fears that we carry in our hearts that keep us from actually growing. We're afraid to really deal with ourselves and with God. And we have this idea in our heads that, oh man, if I 
get real about, if I admit to myself the places that I struggle with scripture, then that must mean that I'm not a Christian. It's like, it feels like opening Pandora's box or opening a whole bag of worms that we're never going to come back from. That's not reality. Okay, so Jake, let me actually put on the devil's advocate hat for a second here and push back on what you just said. Because in Church of the King, our little church plant, you have been leading us through the Sermon on the Mount lately. And that is nothing but a litany of Jesus doubling down and saying, you thought you could get away without doing it? Don't even think it. And then I think of verses like in Ephesians 5, when he says the deeds of darkness are not even named among you, things like that. There is a real place where someone like me needs to be told, do not cross go, do not collect. I don't know Monopoly well enough to say the thing. Do don't not pass go. Do, do not, not pass go. go. Do not collect $200. Pack your things. Go home. Yeah, sure. You felt that way. But why are we even talking about this? Just it was wicked. Be done. Yeah. Repent. You you conform yourself to the word of God. This is a serious thing to even be to even be mentioning this, to even be playing with this, to even be leading our listeners into being so, chill with any yeah, of this. And, and the answer to that is that word conform. Okay. Because there's a difference between conforming your heart to scripture and to God's word and suppressing and denying your wicked heart. Okay, and a lot of people think sanctification really means suppressing and being in denial about the wickedness of their heart instead of conforming their heart to God's image and to the scriptures. And the first step of conforming your heart to God's image and to the scriptures is shining the light on the wickedness of your heart and seeing it for what it is. So I'm not arguing in any way that you prolong or harbor anger or resentment toward God. What I am saying is we have to be honest about it when it's there and when it's real and when God's word exposes it and uncovers it. And so you're reading the book of Acts and you're realizing, hey, this call to plant this church and to move to Evansville is a call to suffer. And that's something that I resent. Okay, there it is. The light's there. Now you have two options at that point say, oh no, I'm not supposed to resent that. So I will pretend like I don't resent it. I will be in denial about that and I will suppress that resentment. All the while resenting it still. All the while actually harboring that resentment, but just bottling it up and burying it deep down and then lying to yourself and to God and to everyone else about it, where it will eventually down the line blow up in your face. Or you shine the light on it and say, well, that's the thing that I didn't realize was there. And now I've got to deal with that. And the first step then is to confess it to God as a real thing that you really have. There's a acknowledgement of anger that is a confession of sin. When a friend of mine died several months ago, I was very tempted to be angry about it. The only way that I could deal with that was to go to God with that anger. And when I did, which was like the same day, mm-hmm. The day that he died, I'm praying and telling God that I'm angry and I'm sorry. He took my friend and I needed him and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was angry and I was sorry that I was angry. But it was the first step to actually putting my hand over my mouth and trusting God that his ways are higher than mine. His wisdom is higher than my wisdom. 
I don't have a right to be angry about that. I just have to trust him. But I, I couldn't deal with that by pretending it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't deal with that by saying, no, you're not allowed to feel those feelings. So pretend they, that you don't lie to yourself about it and bottle it up. Because then what happens is what you're actually doing is you're harboring that resentment while telling yourself you're not, while lying about it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to fester. It's going to turn into bitterness and it's going to explode on you. And that's how you sow seeds of apostasy, not by being honest and real with what you hit. And so it's not about permission to be angry. It's about permission to be honest and real with yourself, being the first step to actually growing and conforming your heart to the scriptures, conforming your heart to God. That's just such a, a place where people have such a disconnect with how to deal with themselves before God, with how to deal with what it means to actually grow in godliness. You actually have to be able to face down what's really inside of there. Well, I, uh, what, I've, what I'm thinking of as you're talking, Jake, is maybe we could just do an episode about the other way you can swing, which is you Wallow. take what we take. What, yeah, well, we, we take what Jake's saying and we take it as a license. We do take it as permission. We to take it as vent. to wallow, to vent, to be a victim, to not recognize your own sin in the matter, to hold and to it, never repent. To never repent and, and to stay perpetually a victim and to let yourself be swallowed up by your feelings. And actually, you have to walk a tightrope when you're doing what you're talking about doing because you will fall off one way or the other. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that again. Jake brought death into it because that's a place where yeah. I want to say I've heard a preacher or someone like that say, you have permission to be angry at God. I've actually heard or a those. Right to you. you have a right. I've heard those words. I want to say at a funeral service. I'm trying to remember the context, but I know that's a place where people. Th- there's a famous West Wing episode where President Bartlett's secretary dies. It's like one of the most famous moments from the show. He goes into the chapel and he curses God out in Latin, and then he throws a cigarette down and stomps it out. Everyone was like, "Yeah, I didn't know a president could be so cool." Death is the place where we think we have a right. It's one, it's one of, I mean, actually, we're so sinful that we just think we have a right. Mm-hmm. Right. Everywhere. But it's an obvious place where people think they have a right to just say, actually, God, that was a mistake on your part. So, yeah, it's easy to wallow. Well, it's hard for us both to deal with the openness of the Psalms and expressing feelings. And then we have no grid for God telling Aaron when his sons, Nadab and Abihu, bring strange fire to God and God kills them on the spot. Mm-hmm. And God says to Aaron, don't, don't mourn. You, don't you dare. Yeah, you're not allowed to mourn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that to me actually feels harsh and unfair. I don't think we have a grid for God's strictness and severity or what he is not only willing to deal with, but is trying to model for us through the Psalms to be like. I think we just don't understand that. We understand license. We understand President Bartlett. Mm-hmm. And we understand suppression, but we don't understand... <laughs> Right, yeah. which is why the the way that we have to deal with this whole question really does require us to live in the Psalms mm-hmm. and to be retrained by the Psalms how to think and how to process our emotions before God. Because it's not about bottling up and suppressing them. And it's not about giving them free reign. And vent. No, it's about disciplining them. But how do we discipline them? How do we actually deal with them? Your emotions are your emotions. It's hard to command the emotions. They're a response. And so... What do you do? They, they spring up from inside your the, the sin, the evil in your heart, or are a fruit of the Spirit. So you, you bring your heart before God, always. That's what the Psalms teach us to do. 
to live our lives, to live our emotions before the face of God and have them be conformed to him. Yeah, that's all 150 Psalms, but the quintessential one, which I have pulled up here, if people don't know, is Psalm 73, a Psalm of Asaph, where he starts, I'll just read a little bit. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet has, had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then he goes on for verse after verse after verse after verse, not saying, well, so I obviously discarded that thought because no. it, was, it was sinful. He says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as other. He just describes how great it is to be wicked. And it, he goes on. And then contrast that with himself. Yeah. And I was like a beast before you. Uh, for all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. I mean, this is exactly how yeah. I felt when I read Acts. Like, oh, okay, great. My life sucks. Awesome. Yep. Thanks. Glad I signed up. But then he says in verse 15. So after 14 verses of that, he says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So even there, he's like, ah, oh, man. How do I put this all together? And then he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And then he describes God whooping up on the wicked. Vindicating the righteous. Vindicating the righteous and gives the answer. But at no point does he say, oh, well, I would never ask a question like that because... It's not... That's an ungodly question, Dad. Right. How dare I admit that I envied the wicked? Right. And that I, I wanted to be like that. I wished my life was as easy as them. Right. As theirs. Well, and you don't feel like by the end of that psalm that he's done feeling all of that tension. He has the answer, but the answer is, how do you get that answer? You keep going into God's sanctuary, Mm -hmm. keep meeting with God's people, you keep praying. It's never going to not seem like the wicked have it easy and we have it hard. Yeah, that's right. He's not saying there's a once for all cure for that. Right. He's saying there is a cure and it's, you gotta, you have to go into the sanctuary. Right. The book of Ecclesiastes. you have to consider the end of everyone right the book of ecclesiastes doesn't say once you submit to god then the battle does go to the strong every time and the race to the swift time and fortune don't happen to them they're like no no life is still in one sense wearisome and and pointless but also god Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean we this is one of the reasons why we started my soul among lions the psalm writing collective of warhorn media because very selfishly, I think. We wanted to be trained by the Psalms, and we realized we weren't. This is a disciplined way for us to do that for ourselves and to give ourselves tools and to give our church tools and to give our children tools to actually have their spiritual, emotional lives shaped by Scripture. Right. And I think largely because of that, by God's grace, having those tools, I was able to pretty deftly and quickly handle my axe conundrum as soon as god it's interesting that god did not let me realize that was what was happening for about you know 10 days and and 20 chapters of acts and do with that what you will but once i realized it it was like okay i get it dear lord i'm sorry i'm very much willing to suffer for you but also i really don't want to and i really don't want my child that's being born to and please help me and i'm not saying that was it. Struggle, problem solved, dust my hands off. But I didn't know what to do with it. So I'll use myself as a bad example and as a good example there of 
why you need to be giving yourself to the scripture. I also, the other, the only other thing I want to say about this is I think people who suppress like that just don't actually believe in sin a lot of the time. They're perfectly capable. Or don't believe in grace. Yeah. Or don't believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. They're, they're just legalists, yeah. really. They're just Pharisees. Well, I, it's also, though, like we were talking earlier about books of the Bible that are hard, and Jake mentioned John. So First John, for me, is always a place where I think, if God is this holy, why should I even try, mm-hmm. actually? And so having a low view of God's holiness or just not knowing how to take it is another thing that feeds into this. And maybe that's all the same, or that's just the other side of the coin of having a low view of grace or, or a low view of sin or something. But Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people like that think, ah, well, I just have to be holy. And actually, in my heart of hearts, I don't think that's har- that hard. So I'll just read Acts, and if it rubs me the wrong way, I won't admit it, because that would be uncomfortable and make me have to question my entire salvation. Yep. Yeah, Christianity is not stoicism, where you just are on a slow path of gritting your teeth more and more efficiently every day. They're two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. You have that low view because you have a sneaking suspicion of the other side of the coin, which is that it's impossible. Uh Right. You're you're so terrified of the idea that God is so holy and you're such a worm and there's no hope. Yeah, there's no real transformation. There's no real power. There's no real anything. There's no real grace, just condemnation. So you have to cheapen it all into something that you can manage. Right. And it's just Catholicism, really. I yep. mean, it's just, I'm so scared of actually coming before God that I'm going to say a Hail Mary and do some junk with my rosary and call it good. Because anything beyond that is mind-blowingly terrifying. So let's just let's just make this simple. Well, that actually gives you a way to vent your feelings though, right? You can do it through the rosary without having to encounter God so directly. Well, the fact is, if I was the person who never realized that I was mad about the Book of Acts, I probably would have vented my feelings on my wife. It's not like they wouldn't have come out, or I would. There's always a way to kick the dog. Yeah, right? there's always a way to kick the dog, and there's always a way to drink the dog away or get the dog in a stupor through. Maybe I should drop the dog metaphor, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's easy to drug the dog, <laughs> pet the dog, kick the dog, but. I am very aware of the tension that Ben was feeling a little earlier that there are there is a whole contingency of existential hipster modern Christians that love to live in the wallowing. And yeah, we're not trying to call give, yourself real. Right. Well, yeah, uh, honest. Yeah. And specifically in the area well, there's all there's all kinds of Christian counseling movements dedicated to you haven't processed your emotions with your parents. So process them and then you end up being a victim the rest of your life because you're not processing them in the light of God's word in your own sin. You're just blaming your parents and living there. Mm-hmm. And people, you can you can strand people there or there are movements that will strand you there. Yeah, there's definitely a time to just say, shut up and trust God. Yep. Sound of Sanity was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, associate produced by Ben. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. This week, you can hear us talk about dreams and Mary Poppins, but the validity of interpreting dreams based on a dream that I had about the Mott and Bailey fallacy. True story. True story. So go there, listen to that, have fun, support a great cause, patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. In the meantime, though, until next time, stay sane.